As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I want to take a moment before we start the show this week and say to everyone who is a patron or one of our supporters at patreon.com slash major spoilers, thank you so much for everything that you do to keep everything going at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. We certainly appreciate it uh, from myself and Ashley and Rodrigo and Matthew and Samantha and uh, Brian and Rob and uh, there's a million other people that are part of the Major Spoilers Podcast Network and they all appreciate everything that you uh, are able to contribute. And hey, listen. If you are not already a Major Spoilers patron, you can sign up today, patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. Go and check it out because you're going to find a world of immense extra bonus content just waiting for you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, not ever hating the wood come to be there in that same <laughs> fashion. But now they're all part of Harrow County. Plus, wrapping up the wick div, aging up the crystal gems, busting open the hellmouth, and doing that thing that we do with the news and the previews and the glaive and the eye. Hello, nice lady. It's the night. We all look forward to for the rest of the week, and it's not just because Steven Springs for the good snacks, but because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 843 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Ooh, more Harrow County or Harrow County action later it's on in this episode. Definitely Harrow, man. My grandfather used to say Harrow when I was a kid. But is it like Harrow or like Marrow, or is it uh, like Harrow, like, I don't know. Like I don't horror. know that haro is, is a, it might is a be. word. I ain't har never heard it row. like that. Har, like you're laughing. Har, D-R-R, and row, right. like you're rowing a boat. But, I, 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 okay. And if you say it right, it sounds like you're talking about something scary. I saw one of them horrors last night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a, little, a little penicillin will clear that right up. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Hey, real quick, hey, let me ask you guys a question. Let me ask you guys a question. Let me ask you guys 50. a question. So... One of the things that uh, the big publishers, and when I talk about big publishers, I'm talking about DC and Marvel, even though Dark Horse and Image and IDW and Boom Studios and Dynamite are all part of the gold level uh, membership at the Diamond. But Marvel and DC really kind of control all of the, um, all of them, they ship the most comics of everyone. Mm -hmm. But one of the weird things that keeps happening is that there are continual delays on some comics, like uh, apparently Shazam now has been canceled until further notice. Mm. 
Uh, and the earliest that you're going to get issue number nine is like going to be maybe in December. But all the previous issues have, have been uh, rejected and uh, said order at another time. Uh, we've got uh, huge things that are going on in the Marvel Universe, all these big mega crossovers that are constantly relying on people to go out and buy all of the other comics. Uh, you've got, uh, what's that one, Matthew? Doomsday Clock, which I thought was supposed to be done like last year, but apparently it is still going on because they can't finish it for whatever reason. And maybe that's holding up a new events uh, that DC wants to do. I know that, or I believe that, the Legion of Superheroes stuff was maybe going to spin out a doomsday clock. We've got the adventures of Superman uh, and the things that are going over there seem to be uh, spinning their wheels for a little bit of time until finally something catches. Is it time for the publishers to stop with the massive story arcs and crossovers or is it fine to keep them coming because that's the way that you sell multiple copies, not, not multiple copies, but that's how you sell more comics because now you have to not only read Amazing Spider-Man, but now you have to go read Iron Man and then you have to read the Thor crossover part of that and then you have to come back know, to Doctor Strange. Like you just can't let Jeff Johns write a comic book anymore and won't come out on time. <laughs> well, that's true. Oh, yeah. He's, I, I he's the one writing that Shazam stuff. No, no, crummy, I see where you're coming like, from. Doomsday Clock and Shazam are Jeff Johns joined. Yeah, no, I just realized so I, that I when you said that. I just thought that was an interesting parallel. Yeah. So what do you what do you guys think? Because, I mean, yes, it could be one writer. I mean, uh, um, what was the uh, the Jim Lee Batman and Robin series? All Star Batman, Batman and Robin. All Star Batman the and Robin. The scariest of all Batmans. Yeah. That one eventually got so delayed because of the it's art. Literally never finished. That they've never finished it. And I don't know why they didn't just say, let's get another artist in here to do the work and keep that I, series going. So as as someone who has worked in editorial it completely baffles me that comic books are allowed to be solicited and marketed and pre-ordered before they are complete. I, I fail to understand that on just a base level. Um, and, you know, maybe that's why I'm not running a comic book company. It's definitely not something I, like it's, it's definitely out of my purview. But I always find that baffling. And, and so, as someone who makes comics... Um, I, I don't, I don't solicit it and I don't promote it to anyone who could purchase it until it is finished. I just think it's so like, let's leave the respect thing aside. It's just so unprofessional. And that's the comic book industry has a weird sheen on it in the entertainment sphere of being a bunch of weirdos working in our basements and home offices, which is totally what we are. And by not being able to deliver things on time, you're just, uh, I think continuing that stereotype, but to your fan base. And I don't know if that's the healthiest way for the industry to continue to grow. Well, but I, hmm, so I see where you're coming from, right? It's like, Hey, have the first arc done, have the first six, six issues done before you start soliciting I mean, stuff. Yeah. And then by the time you hit issue a long time, there's at least seven places it can break down before you even get to the store. Right. Because, you know, uh, even by issue six, then you should have issue 12 done. And so you've got mm -hmm. the next arc done too. But at the same time, television and movies kind of do this, right? We get a trailer yeah, when we get a sizzle reel or a, a trailer for a movie saying, hey, kids, don't forget to go buy this uh, movie ticket for May 1st when this movie drops. By the way, we're still editing this movie. Or in a case of a TV show where you're kind of invested in watching that TV show or season, they're still shooting while the season is still going on. 
I find that a, an interesting comparison, but I just think it's the success of the industry. Like TV delivers on time. Right, like, right, you right, don't right, right. Suddenly here, you don't see it in TV guided and suddenly like, just kidding. You're not getting supernatural this week, kids, because yeah. our editor couldn't get his shit together and draw, you know, and, and finish whatever, whatever render. Like that is something that is, that feels fairly unique to comics that we do allow. Um, and look, I know, I know there is lots of other creative endeavors where um, the artistic people cause a lot of problems but where we you al- allow the relationship to market to be so stopped up like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. like you are a contracted employee you have a deadline if you don't hit your deadline you shouldn't yeah, be able you to work be, anymore yeah you should be fired i mean or you... i mean and, and look there's this is this is a grand generalization of course because there's a lot of reasons why things are late that are completely fine but we're talking about major books here that are being well, delayed and, and and when as the consumer we don't know why we're just told it's not coming out this month and and even if there are things that go wrong you would expect that the company that solicits this to begin with would factor that in mm-hmm. would say hey what if our penciler gets sick what if you know for whatever reason the writer can't finish this and yeah soliciting something or or you know, basically putting it out there the moment that like before the ink is dry on on a contract, you know, much less before any work has been done is is just asking for it, just asking for there to be a delay, just asking for there to be a problem. Well, part of it is the fact that comics are distributed under a 50 year old broken distribution system. I mean, the direct market. The direct market, when it was created in 1960, was basically working with an industry that would put something out every month. You know, in the case of Charlton Comics, put something out to keep our presses rolling. Some of these companies, we would put out a comic, and it would come out every month, and it would be on time. And you would think, wow, that sure was an issue of Judo Master that came out. But now we're still we're still using that whole method we're still using the methodology and we're still using the basics of that direct market but you're at a point where we're kind of operating in a weird multi-level lacuna because it's a 60s distribution model with this weird 70s auteur theory that came out of the early movies that Stephen loves so much but it's all tied together with a weird speculator mentality from the 80s and 90s where this book, you know, if you look at All-Star Batman and Robin, the reason why you don't change All-Star Batman and Robin from Jim Lee is simple. The only reason anybody ever bought that book was because it was Jim Lee. Mm-hmm. If it was not drawn by Jim Lee in Jim Lee's super attractive style, people would have to read that book and realize that it is utter garbage. There is literally nothing in that book other than the art of Jim Lee to make it stand out well, I won't say that because there's some lunacy in there where people are like, I can't believe that they I cannot believe that DC let him do this. I cannot believe that editorial approved this. But Jim Lee's art is the major driving point for that book, at least from my perspective. And again, I'm one dude. I don't I don't blame anybody who loves that book. And you can tell me that book is wonderful. We can have a nice discussion over a beer about it. But what it really comes down to for me is if you look at Historically speaking, and if you look at, I I think, from a a monetary perspective, from a big corporate perspective, I would like to tell you three series that were extremely delayed in their initial printings. And those series are as follows. Watchmen, Batman the Dark Knight Returns, 
and Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars, all three of which are ridiculously popular, are still in print decades later, are still major selling points and major, I think, almost touchstones of the way that specifically Marvel and DC write their series and the way that Marvel and DC market their books. All of those books came out, excuse me, Secret Wars is not the one that I'm thinking of, I apologize, Civil War. Secret Wars was actually on time, had to be contractually on time because of the licensing agreements with the um, toys, with the company making the toys. Forgive me. I almost got stabbed. If you're yelling at me right now, please be aware. I apologize for the inconvenience. I meant Civil War, which has in fact been for the last well, 15 years, Marvel's marketing model. Okay. So it, with the exception of your, your mistake there, mm-hmm. especially with Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. those are two books that are standalone books. Those two mm-hmm. books, those two series uh, were limited series. Those two series had no repercussions of other books that the publishers were doing at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if we're looking at something like Doomsday Clock or we're looking at something like Shazam uh, or we're looking at uh, something like a civil war, which is a good example, because with civil war, you have a bunch of other books that are, well, we've already written this issue that features the Spider-Man has already been revealed. Uh, we can't release it until that issue hits. And if that issue is delayed, that delays and backs up the entire line. Um, so and that's what I see is happening more and more and more is that you have these promises of things that are going to happen, something big, something that's going to radically change the comic book universe of whatever publisher you love forever. And then we never get to it because of these delays. And believe me, I understand why you want to have a big event. Like I said, you want somebody to get out there and be at the comic shop every month to get that, that copy of that issue that's coming out. And then you also want to see, Oh, I need to go and read these other three books that tie into this story or spin out of this story. So I have the full and complete story of what's going on. But at the same time, and we've talked about this before on the show, you have people who are only interested in reading Thor or only interested in reading uh, Robin and then suddenly yeah. there is this story that is interjected in the middle of your Robin series that makes no sense by itself unless you go out and buy the other other comics that tie into that. And I just I feel like these delays are getting more and more ridiculous um, and it's just seems to be not good for the industry. Whereas at the same time, when I was um, so I was listening to Comic Lab, Comic Lab is a really good podcast. Uh, that looks at some insider perspective on the industry from two web comics guys, right? And uh, the most recent episode, uh, they're talking about getting their comics, uh, web comics printed into books, and they're talking about why specifically one of them does not want to ever work with Diamond because of the way they solicit, because of the way it's antiquated system. And uh, that just kind of triggered me as like, oh yeah, there are so many books that I have loved that I'll see a solicitation for and then never see that book hit the stands. Or never get that book on time when it was promised. And I don't, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know if it's an art problem. I don't know if it's an editorial problem. I don't know if it's a legal problem. Um, but I kind of like the old, when Paul Denny was doing uh, the Batman series, where he was doing a lot of done-in-one stuff. Or where we get uh, publishers like IDW Publishing who are like, yeah, we're going to give you four series or four issues in this arc, and then we're going to go on to something else. So I don't know. I, it just, it's really, it's really troubling 
at a time when the comic industry should be huge, that they are making, for lack of a better word, rookie mistakes in delivery and deadlines. The expectation of those massive crossovers is the theory that a high tide will rise all ships. You know, you get to a point where you have five X books and X factor is struggling. Let's do a crossover so that the fans uh, who are buying X men will buy X factor and they might go, Hey, maybe I'll buy X factor next month. It makes sense from a perspective of let's try and expose the lesser known things to the audience that wants to see them. For me, it's a matter of balance. I don't have a problem with a huge, massive story arc. I don't have a problem with a big seven-issue crossover that ties into every comic book in the universe. It's just, you got to break that up. You have to take it, you know, and if you're DC, you have to take some of your darkness and give us a flashlight once in a while. You cannot go from horror to horror to horror and expect everybody to keep responding emotionally because you just killed, you know, somebody's butler last week, and now we're supposed to move on to the no, next Jarvis. big murder. Yeah, Jarvis is dead. It's a bummer too because that guy was great in what? Agents of Shield. <laughs> but I think, well, yeah, he came back too. That's true. I think that the whole the whole problem, what it really comes down to, I think, is editorially speaking. If the only tool you have is a hammer, by which I mean a crossover, then every problem looks like a nail, by which I mean a bigger crossover. So I've been complaining for years that DC knows how to sell us Batman, and their argument is let's make everything Batman. Let's, you know, let's do a new 52 initiative where the entire universe is Batman. And that works to a degree, and that does give us something different. It gives us something new, but there was a point where Marvel had done three crossovers in a row, and they came up with this good idea. It's the golden age or the new age of heroes or something, the heroic age at Marvel. And they're like, we are not going to do a big, dark, world-ending crossover for four months. And at the end of those four months, big, dark, world-ending crossover threw us into, I think, Siege which was uh, the death of everyone on Asgard and most of a chunk of Oklahoma and a whole bunch of big death. And they cut off all of the U S agents limbs because reasons, you know, you, you have to, you have to be able to balance this. You have to be able to give us a long story, but you also have to punctuate that with some shorter stories. Well, some so different moments. Let's look at Tom, Tom King's run on Batman. Uh, Tom King said he had like a, what a 100 issue run on Batman, mm. but then he had an idea to do something, and suddenly they're like, no, you can't do that. Uh, so we're going to take you off Batman, and you can finish your story up in another in another book, in another series. And that almost seems like the same thing. It's like, why? It's like, what's the, what's the, what's the, um, the phrase? Don't tell the universe your plans. <laughs> if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, it, and it seems kind of like the same thing. It's like, Tom King says, well, I've got a hundred issue run on, on Batman that I have planned. Oh, no, you don't. Um, and everything for those 100 issues have been building up, building up, building up, building up, building up. And now we won't be able to see that in the Batman run because now we have to go and find that other series. And let's hope that that series actually continues, providing that everyone knows that, hey, at the end of what issue is it, Ashley 75 or whatever it's supposed to be, uh, that everyone's supposed to jump over to the new book. 
and let's hope that that book has the same sales as the main Batman book that just sells because people just buy it because it's been on their pull list for 50 years. And maybe he'll get to the end of that. I mean, these are kind of the problems that, I, that I'm talking about. I, I don't have a problem with doing a big mega standalone event a la Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns or, you know, Golden Age or, you know, anything. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. But the minute that you are uh, causing potential problems with other series, that becomes problematic. And I don't know if there's an, an, an easy answer to that. Um, I, I, I also don't like a story that requires you to have read the previous 50 issues of a book to understand what's going on. I agree with that. And I, I, you know, I know that the people say these are great jumping on points, but I've picked up some of those comics that say these are great jumping on points. And I'm like, oh no, this is just picking up from the events of the last arc. And I had to have read the last arc to know what's going on here. And I'm not saying that we need to constantly reboot with a new volume and a new never number one, although I understand that may be happening from more than one publisher going forward in the very near future. But I, I, I have, I have no idea. I, I, I don't that's know why that there's a one size fits all answer for it. I think yeah, I don't, I don't think there is. I mean, it is complicated, but at the same time in an industry that needs to be very regular in an industry that needs to be, uh, attracting new readers in an industry that needs to keep things new and fresh as often as possible Long protracted arcs that befuddle and mess up the rest of the production line and the release line seems like that is counter to what your goal is. Unless your goal is to do exactly that, just to totally screw up the company. Well, I don't think it's a screwing up the company situation. I think it's a maximizing profits at any, at any cost. I mean, we are looking, speaking specifically of the big two comic publishers, we are looking at editorial teams that have been in place and together for decade, decade and a half. At both Marvel and DC, they really do need some change in the editorial regime. They need some shakeup at the top, but because of the way the comics industry goes... That doesn't seem like it's going to happen, or it doesn't seem would, like hmm. it's it's something that is going to happen in a way that's going to be positive. You know, yeah. you get you get to a point where there's nothing wrong with having a set of young gun creators. You know, we'll call Marvel on this. There's eight or ten guys that they use a lot, and they come back to, and they really lean on these creators. That's great, but let's also look and see what other creators exist and are there big titles are there big launches are there you know large scale things that you could give to someone entirely new entirely different not part of that same professional social circle and the I, answer is clearly yes i wonder because you know and and just so i'm being fair here both of these publishers have done some mega events that appeared flawlessly, like 52, for example, was a series that came out, my God, on time every week for a year. And it was good. It was really good. Uh, I think Marvel has done the same with one of their uh, more recent uh, mega events where they kind of nailed every release date, every tie-in, everything. And it was a good series. So I'm not saying that it can't be done. Um, but at the same time, going back to what you said, Matthew, where Marvel has, what is it called? The brain, not the brain trust, the young guns, 
I, I don't know if are they called the young guns? Um, they were last time I checked. Okay. Mega big companies, megacorps, which is essentially what Marvel and and, and uh, DC are, because they're owned by a bigger company. Um, there is no incentive to take risks, and so they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Well, you know, you you mentioned fifty two. Fifty two was followed by three more oh, yeah. weekly books. Oh yeah, and each each one lessening in impact and lessening in quality because they made that weekly format seem like it could work. Yep. And because of 52, we got countdown to final crisis. And for that, I will never forgive 52. I don't, I I don't care who was involved in 52. Some of my favorite creators were involved in 52. 52 cannot be forgiven because of countdown. I don't know about that. Ashley, any final thoughts on this? Where, where do we go from here? I think we remember that independent comic books often come out on time, and isn't that cool? Thanks, Ashley. You're doing hmm, a great okay, job. Okay, so speaking of, Ashley, and again, good job on all, all your comic books. But do Yeah, count, all my do, comics come out on time. <laughs> do, we count Spawn, do we count Spawn as an independent comic? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 look, I know the image discussion is always what it is, but by strictest definition, it has to be. And, and it's so interesting. Um, obviously, Spawn is coming up on a big anniversary, which it should have passed a, a while ago because the books didn't come out on time. And I will say that, um, you know, the image founders, it's a bit of a joke that none of those books came out on time, but they do carry that trend over into some of their other work as well. True, 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 true. Rodrigo, any final thoughts on, on this? Final thoughts. Um, I think that it obviously would take a huge shakeup, but if the industry went to like a two-year like publishing schedule, like they're working on stuff that's going to come out next year now, like I know that seems insane uh, given what comics, you know, where, where comics are right now. Uh, but if they did that, it would actually take away both a lot of the problems that they're having and a lot of like a, a lot of the economic problems and a lot of the uh, managerial problems, because it's like something bad happens and they try to like swerve around it. But if you're working two years out, you can't swerve. You can only stay the course and hope that things correct themselves. Um, you know, uh, uh, Magic the Gathering, right, works super far out on things and it's like a mechanic will come out or a car will come out and be like, this is terrible. Like, this doesn't work. It, it's bad for the game. And I have to be like, oh, well, <laughs> two years from now, we'll sort it all out because that's how far ahead we are. You know, it's like that. <laughs> it's we can't we can't pivot. We can't change right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. We can ban things, but that's all we can do. Um, and and I think that would actually I know it sounds like I'm saying something bad, but that would actually be helpful. I think if they, you know, the moment that bad reviews come out for a book and you're still um, tied down to doing six more issues of that book, you put out those six issues and, you know, it's like you have to because you have to. Well, I, and I, then, you know, ahead. like you, you can actually get something out of that, out of that consistency and out of that 
you know, out of the fact that even though things are not going well, you're still putting out that book, you're still finishing out that series, and people will appreciate that. And people, you know, if they don't buy the floppies, they'll buy the trade. Yeah, well, the trade is the the interesting thing. It's interesting that you say planning far enough out in advance because uh, I don't know how far in advance some of the the DC and, and Marvel are. are uh, planning their events. Some of them I know are a couple of years out that they're going to be moving to. But I do want to give Boom Studios a shout out because they actually will announce things like a year or more in advance. Like before San Diego Comic-Con, maybe back in February, March of this year, they were starting to announce books that won't come out until 2020. Yeah. But the thing about those books is they are not series. They are OGNs. And so when they come out and say, hey, we've got a a new magician's uh, book coming out or a series of OGNs based on this, then they're letting people know, hey, this is coming. It's coming out in 2020 and we've got people working on it right now. So it'll come. Don't worry. We're not going to cancel it, but we're letting you know that it's not going to be a mini series. It's not going to be anything like that, but it'll be OGNs. And I see them doing that a lot with OGNs. And I wonder if um, going back to Ashley's comment about if they worked six issues in advance. You know, if they had to have six issues done, why go through all the problems of going to the, to the single issue release? Why not just go directly to the trade and every six months you mm-hmm. get a new trade or every year you get a new trade. I think they Can were I trying just, to do that with earth one, but they, they kind of had well, stopped that, doing that. Yeah. I also just find it. I just find it interesting when we have these, these scheduling issues from the, the big two specifically, because my experience working as a, a newer creator, particularly on the independent side, is if you have to have your book done before mm-hmm. anyone will even consider letting mm-hmm. you pretend like it's going to go to a bookshelf somewhere. So it's just interesting that when people get further along, you'd expect people to get more experienced. Um, and sometimes it seems that the opposite <laughs> is what's happening. Yeah. Listeners, I'm very interested to know what your thoughts are. Why don't you head over to Majorspoilers.com, the show notes for this episode. Use the comment section. Just write it up. Just write all your thoughts. Just go go to town on that. Or even better, head over to our Discord server, and you can share your thoughts there with a bunch of other really cool people, and uh, you can all uh, you can all talk amongst yourselves. And if you are a patron, I think at the $5 and higher levels, you do get access to secret patron-only sections Ooh. of the Discord. So you do want to check that out as well. It's all over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Let us jump into some uh, reviews this week. And I'm going to start things off with uh, kind of a crossover event. What? It is Buffy the Vampire Slayer over at Boom Studios. This whole reimagining of uh, the Buffy universe. It still has everything that you're familiar with. You know, it's got Buffy and Xander and Willow, and it's got her mom and her boyfriend, and it's got Giles as a much older man and his uh, girlfriend, and it's got Drusilla, and it's got uh, What's-His-Face Spike in it. But they're all just a little bit different than what you remember from the TV series. And I that's what I like. I think it's very, very fresh. I was wondering when they announced the Angel series, I want to say... Several months ago, or um, maybe it's towards the end of last year when the Angel series launched. I was wondering how long it would be before Angel and Buffy had a crossover. And they're doing that in the form of the Hellmouth event, which I think comes out next month. Yeah, so if you remember the first season of, of Buffy, you know all about the Hellmouth. The Hellmouth is a big problem, and was all the way until that series ended. Uh, but 
they're doing a miniseries about the Hellmouth, which has Angel and Buffy crossing over and taking care of problems and, and whatnot. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer number eight, which is out this week from Boom Studios, is the prequel to that big event. And Angel, I think also next week, will also be the prequel to that event. And then there will be Buffy and Angel and Hellmouth uh, issues that will all tie into each other through the next couple of months. And this is what happens when it's Halloween and uh, Buffy's mom, Joyce, is hosting an event at the museum of this traveling Egyptian artifact exhibit. And it just so happens that one of the items in the exhibit is one of the keys to opening up the Hellmouth. And of course, uh, the evil vampires show up and there's a threat to, uh, to kill Joyce and Giles is there and he's trying to hide the knife, but he can't. And um, Buffy's just going to a dance and trying to do dance things. And I think Angel shows up, but he's in disguise as a devil. Cause you know, David Boreanaz, the devil, not in real life though, unless you're reading Harry Potter, Never mind. Um, but anyway, I found this issue really fascinating as a lead-up to the Hellmouth event. I was expecting the Hellmouth to crack open and demons to come flying out in this issue, uh, but they didn't. What inst- Instead, what we got is a nice book that doesn't really feature Buffy or Xander or Willow in any major capacity and really focuses on our big bad vampires, really focuses on Joyce, really focuses on Giles and their significant others, at this museum event. And I found that really kind of nice and refreshing. I also really, really like the art from David Lopez in this book. Um, I did mention that Giles looks much older. Um, who was the actor who played uh, Giles in the TV series? Um, Anthony, Anthony Head. Anthony Head. Uh, the way that they portray Giles in this comic book is he's not as skinny as Anthony Head was. He is much, much older. I mean, you see the gray hairs really on the sides of his head. And he looks like a really cool watcher and i just kind of dig his aesthetic and i really dig uh how uh lopez draws and illustrates this entire book i thought it was really really good i enjoyed it a lot and as much as i didn't want to get into big crossovers and big events this kind of really made me interested in wanting to check out what was going to happen in the hellmouth series that comes out later this month from uh from boom studios so for me buffy the vampire slayer number eight which comes out this week Gets four out of five slices of meatloaf. I say take a steak to it, drive it right through those four slices, and then chew away and enjoy it. Uh, because it's it's really good, and especially if you're a Buffy fan, and I am. So there you go. Uh, speaking of series that are not pushing themselves past their prime, or at least for now, Matthew, the mm. Wick Div comes to a conclusion this week. Uh, you can't call it that unless you're a fan. Uh, I'm going to call it the Wick Div and just say, ha-ha, figure out if I'm a fan or not. <laughs> it is the last issue of the Wick Div. Although, uh, they did trick us, and I really appreciate the fact that they tricked us. The Wicked and the Divine, number 45, uh, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Jamie McKelvey, comes out this week. And the first thing that we realize, and that I'm actually sort of fine with, is that the actual last issue of the storyline was 44. 44 actually ended with terrible things happening, certain people dying, and a certain member of the cast being tried and sent to prison for years and years. This book takes up 40 years later. 
And I'm really, I'm a huge fan of the distant finale. I love it when it's like, oh yeah, these things have happened and all of these things took place. And at the end, you know, there's a statue of Gilligan that is up there on the island. I, I don't know if that actually happened. I didn't see any of them. But uh, The Wicked and the Divine starts 40 years after last issue ended, in the year 4055, with a funeral. And it is the funeral of one of the major characters of the book who ended up marrying someone else in the book who is absolutely the last person that you expect. But I think the the part of this book that shot me in the heart and killed me and left me lying by the side of the road is the fact that the surviving cast members are all 40 years older. The whole point of The Wicked and the Divine has always been 12 young people become basically gods, and in two years, they die. And it happens every 90 years. And every issue opens explaining that to you. And then this issue opens with, it's never going to happen again. Something else will. And I was sad at that. And then I teared up a little bit. And then we got to the actual funeral and saw old versions of all the people that we knew. Uh, one of them has a robot body. That's kind of fun. Uh, it's the future. These things happen in the future. And most of the issue is just dedicated to walking in, meeting everybody 40 years older, having a discussion, each one going, this is a little bit of what I've been doing or this is what I'm not doing. Then we get a eulogy. Then the issue closes with probably the most wictive moment ever. I don't know uh, if any of you guys have been reading the book. There oh, yeah, is a I, point... I call it the wictive, Matthew. You know I'm a fan. Or am I? Okay. Shut up. <laughs> anyway. Can't, can't argue with that logic. <laughs> yeah, well, you could, but that way lies madness. Uh, 10 or 15 issues ago, uh, it became clear that there was a pressing issue in the form of an existential crisis called the Great Darkness. Now, this is important because in the middle of the story with the Great Darkness, we are seeing things jumping forward in time 90 years at a time. So we see something that takes place in 1355 and then something that takes place in 1445, and we jump and we jump and we jump. For about 800 years, the Great Darkness is a problem. Which means that for about 800 years, in the middle of this comic book, there are just blank pages. They are pure black pages, and all you see is the thing at the top telling you what year it is for about eight pages in the middle of this book. Now, the best part about it was it's an extra eight pages if you actually bought the three ninety nine comic. That's good. That is not how this book ends. However, if you remember that, and you read that, and then you read this, you will find the ending of this book, which is incredibly upbeat and very strange, and somehow weirdly reminiscent and evocative of that. And once again, there are several extra pages in this issue, based on the average page count of a 399 book. It has a perfect ending. It is not the end of the story arc that we've seen. Again, that was last issue. But this is that moment. This is that coda. This is that high school reunion. This is that thing that old dudes like me really like when you get everybody, get the band back together. And it's like, oh, yeah, I went off and I lost an arm. And, uh, yeah, I spent 200 years floating around with an invisible blue uh, fey guy in space. And then I was never heard from again. All of that sort of comes to play here. 
which is why the WICDIV number 45. Stephen, you can call it WICDIV. Yay. Yay. The WICDIV. I knew it came to an end last issue. I just knew that this was the, the epilogue. Because, you know, I read it's the last religiously. Issue. Yeah, of course. That's clearly yeah. it. Yeah. Five, five slices of meatloaf. You, you cannot fault this. This is a book that shouldn't have worked. This is a book that should never have worked. This is a book that I should not have been interested in. Because on the face of it, it's everything that I don't want to read in a comic book. And now that it's over, I'm really sad about it. Yeah, it's always good to try something new. Never know what right? you might discover, right? Yeah. Well, that's how I ended up eating some sort of weird lemon cheese ball this afternoon. It was really pretty good. Mm. Let, uh, let's take a different tact onto our, our topic, uh, main topic that we started the show off with. And let's look at a one-shot, Ashley. With yeah. uh, Mother Maiden Crone from, who is this? Bedside Press. This Is, a, is this an imprint of Oni? Or is this a, its no, own thing? No, Bedside Press is an independent okay. uh, comic book company. And uh, Mother Maiden Crone is... They traditionally do make comics. They make a lot of really great comics. Uh, Mother Maiden Crone is all prose. So I thought ah, it was okay. very exciting. Uh, Divergence. And it explores... If you're not familiar, Mother Maiden Crone are the three classic archetypical stages of feminine life. That particular phrasing comes from a more witchcraft pagan tradition. So I was like, ah, give me witches. I'm in. This is great. And this particular collection explores uh, femininity through the eyes of trans characters. But these are not coming out stories and these women's embracing of their femininity. It's just a fact of life of each of these fantasy stories, uh, which I thought was really cool because... Some people are trans in this world and they go about their lives and they do normal things and not every moment is a, a crisis. And sometimes in media, when we're dealing with um, people who are representative as othered, the story is always about the, the very trauma of their existence. So I was like, great, let's do something that's not that with witchcraft. That sounds great. And this was headed up by Lila Sturgis, who I mm -hmm. know is a, a fave, kicking yep. around the, uh, the major spoilers side. Most definitely. Yep. It's a collection of short fantasy and I think short stories and I believe the same thing about backup comics are harder to write than longer form stories because you have to do the same amount of work but with much less geography. And I found that even though the theme is heady and it's complicated and it's very like of this time, I found that it was handled with such grace and such aplomb that a lot of the times you kind of forget what the thesis of the book was. And I think that is to its credit. There's a really wonderful story that um, if people know me or they listen to a lot of the podcasts, they'll understand why I loved this. It's just about this woman and she's a mage and her only magical power is she has vulpomancy so she could turn into a fox. And whether or not she's going to give herself over to that entirely or not. And I was like, wow, this is so good. I would have read this entire you know, 240 page novel. And I find it refreshing when prose anthologies in uh, particular, when they're really wonderful and really elevated. And that's what I think this book is. It started life as a Kickstarter book. It is now available on Amazon. I'm not sure if it's hit traditional bookstores or not yet. I couldn't find that online. I'm really sorry. But it's not impossible to get your hands on. And I really think that if people like any of the keywords that I've brought up, whether that is uh, LGBT stories, whether that's witchcraft, whether that's fantasy, or whether that's foxes, I think they'll get a lot out of this book. And it, it's one of those books that as a creative person, when you engage with, you want to walk away 
making something new. And it's funny because we've spent a lot of uh, this evening when we record talking about the Dark Crystal. And there's actually a story um, in here that it's it's not that it's anything similar, but just because Dark Crystal is in the zeitgeist, as I was reading it, I could very much imagine like, oh, what these Henson puppets would look like um, sort of populating the world that the story told. And I like when fantasy, because it is so divorced from our own reality, can reflect it back on us as like, oh, this issue in the modern world could actually be not a big deal if you could just fix it with magic. And that's very much what Maiden Mother Crone does. So if you're into magical femmes, and I know I did last week, I did another independent book, but I got a lot of Kickstarter rewards recently. <laughs> so that's just been a lot of what I'm reading. And it's also cool. And, you know, we just had our whole discussion about scheduling and the mm-hmm. big two and can anyone get anything out on time? Timing is obviously always an issue with crowdfunding, but it is really cool to watch a bunch of creators who are unbridled and nothing but supported creatively by um the the production company the publishing company behind them as opposed to and look i I love superhero comics but sometimes you read superhero comics and you understand that it is people working toward uh the editorial goal rather than their creative goal Mm -hmm. and a book like mother maiden crone is just nothing but wonderful unbridled creativity and i'm sure there was an editor who at one point questioned a story beat but it's like watching people being let go on their creative impulses. And I was really, I was just really struck by the book in a way that I wasn't anticipating. And I put down reading the His Dark Material series, which is obviously a very uh, beloved and lauded fantasy series as well. And I was like in no way disappointed to live in these 25 individual worlds and step away from that instead. Um, I have the Kickstarter copy. There's a different cover. So I have the funny pink one. You guys will have to buy the blue one. Uh, it's really, really fabulous. I like everything that Bedside Press does, and I would really encourage people to pick it up. Very cool. Thank you so much for that, Ashley. Rodrigo, over in television, everyone wants five seasons and a movie. And it looks like uh, Steven Universe has finally gotten his wish. Uh, yeah. So the Steven Universe movie came out uh, yesterday. Two days ago, if you're listening to this on a Wednesday, hello, future people. Um, and uh, it, it it was fun. I mean, I I, I watched it, and it uh, so the, so the story picks up like five years after the events of the last season, um, and uh, Stephen and the Crystal Gems have gone on to. Uh, really help everyone out and everything seems to be going fine and everyone's happy. And then all of a sudden a new threat appears. Oh no. And they have to deal with it. <laughs> um, so uh, a few things about this, uh, this movie. Um, it is a full on musical extravaganza. Like uh, obviously Steven universe has a lot of music in it. And, um, you know, pound for pound uh, has a lot of songs since it tends to have relatively short episodes often uh, with a song in them. But this is very close to that sort of musical where the characters might as well just sing their lines to bridge the songs. There are a lot of songs in this. There is like a season's worth of songs in in this 
So if if that's what you're into for Steven Universe already, you should be in through the door uh, because of this. Um, it introduces a new villain who I found a lot of fun and pretty compelling once you start figuring out what her deal is. Um, also, I would say definitely uh, there were two, probably the two best songs in this, in my opinion, are the two songs that the villain sings. So there's that as well. Um, that said, uh, if, if anything, this movie to me really feels like a victory lap. Um, there's all of any sort of like advancement to the story happens actually at the beginning because of that time jump. Basically they start out and they're like, here's what's been happening over the past few years. Everything's fine now. And then the events of the movie take place and then the events of the movie end. And there really isn't actually much of an impact once it's all done, which is, I guess, um, kind of, what you have to do when you do a tie-in movie, you know, it, it like all the characters are there. Presumably, it's canon, um, but uh, there is no real advancement of anything uh, having to do again, uh, except for the, the the initial time jump. Um, and because it's a movie and it's sort of it's meant to stand alone. The whole what feel, feels like first half, but it's probably the first third of the movie, uh, feels like they're just covering what happened. In fact, there mm-hmm. are like multiple scenes that cover the events of the show. There's like a, um, you know, the beginning of Sleeping Beauty, uh, Disney yeah, Sleeping yeah. Beauty, yep, where they're yep. like flipping through the through the picture book. There's that for the events of the movie. Then there's a song that's basically the everything's all right now song uh, in which each of the main characters sing a verse about their deal. Like basically it's like a here's my arc from the show. So it's like now there's like kind of two consecutive things of just like catching up on what's been happening from the show. This is who these characters are and everything. And, you know, being a fan of the show, I'm watching this and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, the music's fun and, and it's all good, but I already know this. Uh, and then a big part of the main uh, action is that all of the, like a bunch of the characters lose their memories. And so they have to kind of cover again, uh-huh. like major arcs, major pieces of their arcs to recover their memories. Mm-hmm. So it's like so much of this, just so much of this is. Um, hey guys, wasn't Steven Universe great? Here's some new songs about how great the show was and about how great each of these characters are and about kind of what we learned along the way with these characters, which is why I say that this whole thing just really feels like a victory lap, right? It's like, I can't believe we got this series done, guys. I can't believe they let us put like a, a space lesbian wedding in this show. Like, what else could we possibly want? Let's hmm. just like let's just do a movie. Let's just do a, an hour and a half of like cool adventure and lots of songs and like characters interacting with each other and 
me losing $20 in a bet with my wife because the one fusion that happens is the last fusion, new fusion. Is the last one that I could have possibly expected, and I'm still <laughs> kind of weirded out by it. I love that um, fusion, man. I, 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 I figured you might, but I like. To me, it was like I was like, there is no way they're ever going to do that, and sure enough, they did. So some surprises here as well. Um, you know, altogether, it's there's nothing wrong with it, but it it at the same time weirdly feels disconnected because it seems to have no impact on the characters while simultaneously feeling like a big rehash. Um, so that kind of takes away from it, but these characters are great. I love them. The singing is great. I love it. The music's fun. All the characters are like every character that you love from Steven universe is there in this, even, even if they're just in the background, um, they even get in some like Steven eats a donut type moments as well, <laughs> you know, because that's a big part of the show. Right. You have to do that. You have to do that. Um, so, you know, th- there, there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't feel, it didn't feel impactful. It didn't feel after having this show where even those episodes in which nothing magical, only mundane things happened. And in retrospect, you look at those episodes and you're like, this really advanced the plot. This is actually a very relevant episode, even if nothing, uh, you know, actiony or magical happened. Um, having this movie in which, you know, kind of everything's reset by the end of it is, I don't know, it just, it, it felt backwards. It felt like, I, I it, it felt like nothing should have happened in the movie and it should have been very impactful is like what Steven Universe tends to do. And instead, lots of stuff happened. Um, but in the end, we're just kind of back to, the crystal gems as they were and you know no big deal and it's all good uh so i'm gonna give this two and a half slices of meatloaf uh it was a very enjoyable experience we actually bought it on amazon because we don't have cable um and i'm i'm not upset about it i rewatched it again this morning because we watched it at midnight last night Rewatched it again today uh lots of fun uh i'd say definitely check it out uh, if you have cable you probably have it on demand somewhere mm. and you probably don't actually have to spend any more money on it Cartoon Network's app is really weird, though. Yeah, well, you have you might have to deal with that. But if you have like Comcast or whatever, it might just be stashed in your uh, on demands. I'm not sure about that. I, I, I can't I can't speak to that because I don't have it. There you go. All right, thank you for that, uh, Rodrigo and Matthew and Ashley. Uh, listeners, you can find even more reviews over at Majorspoilers.com. What are you waiting for? Point your browser, Majorspoilers.com, right there. Set it as your uh, default homepage so that every day you can come and find all the cool stuff that we're doing just for you. Speaking of cool stuff, let's talk about Haro County, Volume 5, Abandoned, where, ooh, some major revelations in a book that I thought was not going to be super... Wasn't I, yeah, I didn't think it was going to be that... You mean, a, you mean a volume that wasn't going to be very... Revelatory. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be very revelatory. And then suddenly it's just like, oh, no, here's this. Uh, here's who this big monster in the woods is. Oh, here's Emmy's uh, real, uh, uh, you know, where she comes from. Oh, Emmy didn't go there. Oh, yes, she did go there. And it just is suddenly I'm just like, oh, my God, this book continues to surprise me every time we go and read a new volume. So, Matthew, what's going on with the abandoned? Give us a rundown of who what the abandoned is and what his story is or its story is. Well, the abandoned uh, is in my head, always old book, the monster in the uh, woods. 
the one who looks like a cow and a dog and a chicken and has many, 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 many eyes. But uh, as this volume starts, he's telling Emmy a story about the evil people that we saw in the last chapter who actually turn out to be her metaphorical family. And explaining who they are leads to them explaining who he is. He's actually one of them. Seems like they're their creator, right? Isn't he like yeah, the father of them all? Metaphorically fathered, yeah. I'm not entirely sure if he physically created them, because we do see him physically creating creatures and giving them life. But yeah, he was actually one of them uh, as Malachi, is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yep. My brain is going either Malachi or Malachite, and that's the Steven Universe thing. Malakesh. Ma- Marrakesh. No, that's a city. No. But yes, Malachi. <laughs> Malachi actually became so disillusioned with his terrible metaphorical children that he walked away into the woods and became a terrible beast monster. And then stupid people come and try to hunt him, and then it starts to get ugly. Yeah, it does. In fact, one of the things we find out about the abandon is the rest of the family go and kill the beast monster. And then Malachi eats him eats to it. absorb his powers. And then so when he goes wandering off into the woods, into Haro County, he decides to become the abandoned and bring forth that beast from him. Which, that is kind of, I think, and again, Ashley's read the whole series. Yeah. That feels very telling going forward. Oh, that's a smart. Uh, that's a smart thought. Also, very telling going forward is uh, what happened to um, Malachi's. Like, wasn't his his wife right? It was just like the no, it's another other one of his creations. Yeah, his like second in command. And yeah, we find out what happened to her, and we find out how that affects Emmy Ashley. Yes, and you know, Emmy's had a really interesting journey because Emmy is really struggling with literally who she is, what that means and who her responsibility is to. And what I like about this volume is she's starting to get real powerful and real mean, but she's also very empathetic as we kind of learn more about Malachi's journey. Yeah. He's just so sad. And we find out that she, that we find out that Emmy is the uh, reincarnation. Of... Yeah, she's the, Oh, that's, she's not the daughter of Hester. Right. As we thought with her sister, Cammie, she is, in fact, a reincarnated vessel. Yes, spirit. Yeah, so I wondered, instead of those two then being twins, do we actually have Hester reincarnated, not into two people, but into uh, the the evil twin that we've... Into Cammie? Into Cammie. Into the goods and the bads. Yeah, I wonder if that's the implication then, coming out of that. It certainly seems to be, because, you know, spoilers... Uh, we do see uh, Hester kill and eat Amaryllis, yeah. or at least part of her, mm-hmm. which implies that she's taken on part of Amaryllis. So theoretically, part of her then went on to become Emmy, and that part of her theoretically has the Amaryllis. I don't know. All I know is that if you want to get someone's power, you must eat them, which is why I eat a lot of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Well, then you uh, certainly have gained the power of the uh, seven herbs and spices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The thing that I was not prepared for, Rodrigo, was Mm. what happens when out of towners hear about these uh, ancient things running around and decide to go hunt them. And then the abandoned kills all these hunters. But I wasn't prepared for what Emmy was going to do next. Yeah, uh, it's 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 interesting to see um, to, to, to see 
Emmy's choices at this juncture because um, there's there's kind of this idea early on in the story that she's not going to be like Hester and she's not going to do these things. But then by the end of this, she's like created some uh, false humans as well uh, to sort of cover up for for the fact that all of these people die and that so that she doesn't, you know, so that more people don't show up at Harrow, like asking questions. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting thing that I don't feel like the book is like very much. Well, I mean, I guess it is the definitely her, her dad is like definitely not on board with it. Right. But, but what are you going to do when you're, daughter's an all-powerful super witch well Mm. i mean that is a good question what do you do because we have seen uh ma and pa kent take an all-powerful being and make sure that he doesn't go down the dark side unless you've seen that Mm. what is it that movie brightburn which i haven't seen yet but don't you think her her father should be sitting there going now emmy back in my day that's not how we do things in the harrow county and wow. maybe guide her back to the light side? I mean, because the only other friend that she has besides her father is also at this point very bitter at her. The 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 issue with her relationship with her father is that uh, he tried to kill her. And, and he's afraid of her. He's, yeah, he's I, it's, it's like everyone who knows who she is is terrified of her. And it, it's like they're they're... I think the they they've done a good job of establishing that at this stage they are like above and beyond the ken of like any sort of like mortal entity, right? It's like Emmy is like way more powerful, so now only these like weird gods are on her level. So everybody just has to kind of trust her judgment and be like, "Hey, are you sure this is what you want to be doing?" And if she's like, "Yep," you're like, "Well." I mean, what, like, it's like she can see more than anyone. She understands more than anyone as well. You know, she's still a person, but it's like no one, like everyone else is just like a a being made out of dirt. Yeah. And they don't, they, they don't, all they can really do is, you know, kind of cock their eyebrows at her a little Mm -hmm, bit. mm -hmm. Do you think that she has crossed a boundary line that she should not have crossed? I th- I think it's I think it's getting there. Uh honestly, for me uh I had never felt a premise I mean maybe I have, but in in recent memory I hadn't seen a, a premise de- deflate so violently as when this book told me that she's not actually Hester. Mm, okay. So why? Why? I mean, uh, so that's interesting, right? Because it's like, oh, she's Hester. She is evil. She is the dark right, side. Right. Is she going to find the light? Is she going to redeem herself? Right. But maybe, I mean, is that the same thing where is, okay, we think that she's evil and that she isn't going to do anything horrible or, you know, and she's going to redeem herself. But now we find out, oh, no, she is the light. And now she's doing something horrible. Is, she, you know, and that's why I asked, did, did she cross a line? Did she go beyond? Is this the... Is this the same story, but now we've just flipped the the coin to the other side? I mean, if if it gets flipped, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a hard enough flip for mm-hmm. me. I, mm-hmm. I was I was kind of I was like, oh, well, you know, if she's not if she's not the pure evil one, then 
then there's hope. And if there's hope, it doesn't feel like she's actually surmounting those obstacles mm-hmm. yeah. the way that it did before. Yeah, yeah And it's yeah. like, well, maybe, you know, maybe Amaryllis could create life and not be not have it be tainted by evil yeah or whatever you know it's like we know that hester was pure evil mm-hmm. uh, so you know now that we know that she's another person and yeah they could flip it they could later on be like ah she is another person but it turns out she's evil i i just don't think that's as strong as you know, we've always known that she was pure evil. Or, well, I was going more to the fact of you think that she is going to now go down the pure evil route, but she still redeems herself some way in the end to where she's not. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Ma- Matthew, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think you have a point about her actions being definitely on a slippery slope. And I think that the, the, the two sides of it, Rodrigo's disappointment that she's not actually the pure evil that she seems to be, and the indication that she may be more evil than she thinks she is, are kind of intentionally working together. I feel like when we were in The Sixth Gun by pretty much the same, same, same group, group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. we got to that point where, oh, look, here's our, here's our uh, square-jawed hero with the mustache, and he's totally not a douchebag, and then it turns out he totally is a douchebag, and he's not just a douchebag, he's the biggest one ever, and he ruined everything, and this is all his fault. I kind of feel like there's, what, three more volumes of this book? I believe so. I feel like the reveal that, well, she's actually a Marilis is just as much a perception thing as the expectation that she's pure evil and that she's actually Hester. I feel like the reality of what Emmy is and isn't is still up in the air. And I feel like that maybe the key to this volume because it did feel i definitely agree with rodrigo it did feel like there was a kind of a step to the left moment in the premise where you know to use the steven universe analogy we go from this cute story of a magical boy to all of a sudden dealing with space war crimes which changes not just the focus but it changes the whole point of everything that we've seen thus far yeah again we haven't we haven't really read I mean, three of us have not. One of us has. <laughs> but I kind of feel like, and I totally see where, where you're coming from, Rodrigo, and I kind of totally agree with you on that point. But part of me wants to think that, and again, this is me putting my feelings into what Emmy is doing. Emmy's justification, Ashley, is that, well, I am the good now. So anything I do has to be good. And so therefore, sorry, sorry, what (laughs) that that Emmy is thinking to herself, well, I am of the good side. I am not Hester. So everything that I do, including creating people is okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a backwards logic thing from a young child's perspective. Well, she's 16, right? She's she's young. So it makes sense that that would be her. I, I don't mind that justification. Because that's something that a lot of young people would think. And, and is does it ring false? And is it absolutely a lie? Like a hundred thousand percent. But I think, <laughs> I think, at this point in her hero's journey, this is like her dark cave moment. Uh-huh, you know what uh-huh. I mean? Yep. Um. So I mean, is it a bummer? Yes. But I, I'm also I think a little biased because I I know it's I know how it's going to turn out. Yeah, that's why I was like, don't give it too much away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I do kind of want to see what happens next. And and it it feels like with however many um, issues we have left or how many volumes we have left in this, 
that now we start coming out of depending on which which uh, story structure you like. It feels like we are coming out of the uh, the darkness and we're coming into the final three steps of the story circle or we're we're hitting the third act of the of Man, the uh, of the series to understand <laughs> really you have trouble with the story circle yeah i don't understand them at all okay. um they make literally zero sense to me yeah yeah no i mean i i you know if you're if you're going on the hero's journey there's this this uh, setup if you're going on the story story circle there's this setup it just feels like now we are into that final turning point maybe we're at the bottom of the story circle uh but we're really at that part where we are at our darkest moment for emmy and she's mm-hmm. going to have to come out changed one way or the other and is going to have to make some kind of a sacrifice one way or another. But after this, with all the revelations that happened in this book, it kind of re-energized me about this series. Because I, when I went into this, I was like, eh, here we go, a bunch of just stories fleshing out this world. And I would have been okay with that, but it really wasn't something I was looking forward to in this book. And then we learn about Malachi and we learn about Emmy and we learn about, you know, what she is doing and the other things that are going on. And then suddenly all these little stories suddenly make a lot more sense. And I think the Malachi stuff is, is like truly incredible. I love yeah. it so much. The only That's pretty fascinating reveal. Yeah. yeah the, the only thing that I was kind of disappointed in is I realized that this is a uh, serialized monthly uh, book. But a couple of times in the in the book, it felt like they were repeating themselves. And I kind of wish that when you're putting something yeah, together yeah. in a trade that you could maybe just like rip out that page and not include it because it just feels so redundant. But, you know, that wouldn't be a good thing either. But that was that was my biggest complaint about this was some of the redundancy. But Rodrigo, I think you maybe had a bigger problem with just Emmy making the people and going against her her nature. No, I my my biggest problem was that reveal. And honestly, I mean. Harrow County's been good so far. I'm sure. Um, I, I'm sure they'll make something good out of it. You know, really the the issue is that I, I feel like I was given a premise, and then it's like, aha, well, twist. It's actually yeah. a less interesting premise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to me, it just kind of takes a, a little bit of the excitement out of it, but. You know, I, I'm still in it. It's mm-hmm. it's all good. Mm-hmm. Matthew, yeah. did you have any major problems with this uh, with this volume? My biggest problem, and it's it's more of a structural problem, and my appreciation of certain parts of story more than others. But my biggest complaint, especially when you get into a volume, this is what I like to call the settling of the concrete volume. This is the point where you know we're we're four movies in and harry potter has to actually learn some things about himself or no he doesn't hermione's gonna do it all for him we're three and a half seasons in and now something's gonna happen and you know creatures are gonna come down from space and they're gonna want to create brunch you know whatever it is that's happening is the point where we're kind of narrowing what seemed like that wide open sandbox and it's definitely something that a story has to do, especially if a story is going to have an end, which I believe that stories should. I've been reading comics for years and years and years, and I'm tired of never, ever getting a solid, really solid ending. So I feel like it's kind of a necessary evil to get where I think the creators are going. But it does make me a little sad to see some of those, you know, here there be tigers, empty spaces filled in with a clear knowledge of okay that's an island okay that's a duck that's a brooch that's a hat that's a pterodactyl 
it does change my enjoyment of the the weird, crazy, unexpected magiciness of it all. But it it changes it into something different, and I think it changes it into. If I'm not mistaken, there's only like twelve more issues of this book, so we are two thirds of the way through. It's changing us into whatever our final arc is going to turn out to be, whether it's the hero's journey, whether it's uh, you know Abbott and Costello go to Disneyland. Whatever it's going to be is happening here. And so there's a little part of me that's a little heart sick to see those possible imaginary theories being thrown by the side for the actual concrete reality of what's happening. That said, I don't hate what's happening. I feel like the story is still as strong as it has been. And I feel like the art is really, really good. And that Malachi reveal is just a bump. Yeah, no, it was it really was a good reveal. I really enjoyed that. I was really like, oh, this is cool. And then when I just I really like I said, I didn't expect anything going into this book and I came out just the world kind of flipped a little differently for Haro County. Uh, Ashley, was there anything in this volume that you didn't care for or that you found problematic or troublesome? Uh, There's something that I would say that I found troublesome. Um, I maybe I didn't think the reveals were the most creative reveals that ever revealed. Um, like the, the, the Malachi reveal is the one that I think is really good, but the idea that like, she's not actually the daughter, you're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. So you're kind of trying to be different for different sake. And and that's okay. I don't mind that so much. Cause, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of superheroes and there's a lot of genre stories that don't try to be different at all. Mm -hmm. So I would rather that it tried that they tried to do something a little off the beaten path and it didn't completely land on the opposite. Yeah. I have some, I have some thoughts, but I, I, and some questions and some directions that I want to talk about, but I really think it's something to talk about when we finish this series. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, we're going to come back. Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to come back. We're going to finish this, this series. I don't know if we finish it before the year is out or not, or if we have to jump into uh, next year for it or not, I'm pretty sure we try to finish it all this year, but maybe not. I don't know, but, I but don't we're going to think we got all of them, but I think we got all but one. I think, yeah, we may have to jump into January or something for that, but uh, I still am enjoying this series and, and you know, and this is the second Cullen Bunn series that we are working our way completely through and it's still working for me. So I'm still giving this a, a go pick it up and read it uh, recommendation. Ashley? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you've been playing along this far. Yeah. Rodrigo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, you, if you've gotten this far, you, you probably should just push through to the end. Even if this isn't <laughs> the strongest volume for me, um, I, I still think it was good. And Matthew? There's a little bit of what I like to call that third act-itis going on, but that's not necessarily... A Fatal Flaw. It's still a good book. Uh, it's got some of the best back-and-forth conversation that we've seen to date. And Dad actually gets to do something other than cower in the kitchen. So you know, mm-hmm. that's always a plus. Yep. All right. That will wrap it up for this installment of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Next week on the show, Atomic Robo and the Knights of the Golden Circle. That will definitely be a uh, an interesting conversation. But thank you, everybody for being part of this week's show, and thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. As always, we live for your feedback, so use the comments section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this and every episode. Or even better, send us an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. And don't forget that you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron 
at patreon.com slash major spoilers. That's it. It's over. Go home. We'll be back next week because we know that you love comics and we do too. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the man of steel. I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.